Welcome to Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm talking about how to theme your characters without breaking the rules, and how to get a little bit more mileage out of the same old recipes. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. Be right with you. Flavor. Noun. The quality of something that affects the sense of taste. The blend of taste and smell sensations evoked by a substance in the mouth. A substance that flavors. A characteristic or predominant quality. A distinct, appealing, or enlivening quality. A property that distinguishes different types of elementary particles, such as quarks or neutrinos. Also, any of the different types of particles that are distinguished by flavor. One that is in the center of public attention for a limited time, usually used in phrases such as flavor of the month. Flavor is one of the many ways that we experience the world. Flavor has meaning to the individual, is expressed through cultural and geographic means. It can define entire styles of food or be finely tuned to a specific person's taste. Similarly, it can be used to evoke style or the lack thereof. It can be used to impress or to repulse. It is subjective and personal to us, and taste is just as often used to describe one's preference of nearly every other sense as it is to describe the chemicals that interact with our tongues. One's taste in clothes, in music, in dating preferences, and if you have a taste for a particular flavor of a character, but don't know how to make it work, let's see what our options are. Now, I'll be focusing more on spells in this episode before we get to our food topics, but just as many of these reflavorings can be applied to classes, abilities, racial traits, or nearly any other rule or ability that you can think of. I'd like to start by talking about the Dragon Magazine December 1993 edition. Uh, I believe it was number 200. It had an amazing article that I really wish I would have seen earlier uh, because I didn't experience it until probably just maybe four or five years ago. And being that it is 2021 now, that's uh, quite a ways after its initial release. Now, it's something that I really didn't think of or was terribly aware of when I played uh, in the 3-5 era, which is where the a good bulk of my uh, more intense D&D experiences were. And it's something that I, I just, I think, was played through and we had some idea of, but it was not really as expressly stated as it is a little bit more in the 5e era. But even still, while there are references to flavoring magic in 5e, I think that a lot of uh, players and maybe even some DMs kind of miss or skim over some of the, the things that you can do to alter uh, your spells and your character without changing the rules, but giving you a more personal touch and more control over how your character expresses their spells, abilities, and options that are available to them. 
The Dragon Magazine 1993 edition article that I want to focus on for a moment is titled The Color of Magic. This article basically goes and talks about how there is a character that, or a player that wants a character that is ice-themed, but most of the ice spells that would be available to them don't have uh, any low. there's not a lot of lower level versions of ice spells. They're all like seventh level or higher. And they're wondering if there is a way that they can evoke the sense of an ice mage without having to go through or, or while being able to work up to that space, right? While having some lower level spell options available to them. Keep in mind, this is 1993, so we're talking kind of second edition D&D, uh, maybe even earlier. I don't have the dates pulled up to, to state exactly which edition, but definitely pre-third edition for sure. So our options are a little bit limited, and while later editions have done what they can to offer us some additional spells of differing flavors, in older versions there were not as many of these types of themings of a single spell with varying damages. There was pretty much more limited to if it had a defining quality or effect that changed it, and instead it was up to the players and the dungeon master to then theme these kind of base spells in various ways using the rules to garner the effect of the spell, but leaving the description up to the player. So I actually highly recommend that you check out this article. You can read many of the older dungeon magazines online for free. That's how I was able to uh, see this article, and I think it may have even been referenced in uh, probably a Reddit or something that I had stumbled across while I was trying to create characters of different types and wondering if there were ways that I could customize a character to suit my own needs. So... I'll go through and take a little bit to talk about some of the lower level options that I used while creating a very recent character of mine, uh, Fate. Now, Fate, spelled with a PH because edgy, uh, is actually a warforged artificer. Super unique, I know. But he was I was wanting to bring a warforged into a Ravnica campaign, a realm where Warforged typically do not exist. So despite the backstory of him, which I may post at some point uh, somewhere online, keep a lookout for that, it was more about me really embracing having the, the spell flavoring and making it unique to myself and my character. It's one of the the. I mean, I've done it before a little bit here and there, but I wanted every single spell and effect that my character used to express itself in a personal and unique way to that character. A lot of times I tend to not play spellcasters, so this was the first time that I could really embrace that in a way that just screamed everything about this character is this character's way as an artificer it, it was something where he wanted i wanted him to be able to express spells that were common but in a way where he's trying to kind of replicate them through a mechanical means i really took uh arthur c Clarke's third law 
to and just pushed it as hard as I could into this character, which is any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So having an artificer that was able to conjure up magic and things that still worked magically, but through technological means, was really the focus of this character. So when going through some of uh, his various spells and abilities, so uh, absorb elements, or you know, being able to take a resistance and then turn that into a damage type would be, you know, runes that would light up on, you know, his armor and would would suck in a certain type of energy and then funnel it through small wires and tubes back out to the weapon-wielding hand. Something like Catapult was akin to kind of like a, a batarang, like a small metallic disc that he could throw out that would utilize uh, small changes in gravity and pressure to pick up any object and launch it away as it sh kind of shattered, just expelling a huge amount of stored uh, energy or force to move an object. Cure wounds uh, could be anything from a syringe-like med kit that you would see kind of in a video game to a small kind of helicopter-like device that would hover over and use lasers and bits of magic to close wounds or analyze a subject and produce a particular uh, healing quality that they needed. Of course, detect magic is very simply a, any sort of scan or, you know, similar to identify would bring up a hologram of a particular object and analyze it as it kind of digitally takes it apart. Yes, there's a lot of Tony Stark Iron Man flair going on here, as I was kind of rep representing that character style, just a little bit less uh, billionaire philanthropist and a little bit more mad scientist thrown in. Things like Magic Missile could conjure up uh, bolts or screws or shards of metal that were ethereal and able to hone in on their targets. And Shield was a small metallic uh, kind of almost spider-looking object on his back that could jump out at any moment and expel a force field in a given direction to block attacks from behind or to keep magical substances at bay. Things like knock could be pulling a small mechanical spider with four legs that could attach itself to a lock and pick it very quickly while you took other tasks. All of these spells were, you know, using what I had in place. Uh, things like thorn whip could be an arm-mounted grappling hook or chain that launches itself out. I tried as much as I could to even extend this to the magical items. So he had acquired um, like a rope of climbing, and so it too was kind of this same coil, or at least in the same style, where is this kind of animated chain that could, you know, do various tasks. I believe I further enchanted it later with like animate rope. So he could kind of guide it around uh, and move it through various spaces. And I wanted to eventually get it to, like, 
uh, what I think rope trick where uh, you use it in and build an extra dimensional space into this rope by having almost like a lightsaber handle attached to it where now you have kind of a remote control for this device and be able to swerve it around corners or build the portal or use it as a physical whip to snare and grab enemies and pull them closer. So again, while it technically was multiple different uh, items or spells, my Dungeon Master was really kind enough to allow me to theme these things all together into a single item uh, for certain effects, but if I lost it uh, or or lost the rope itself, uh, I may or may not have been in a situation where I wouldn't be able to use something like Thorn Whip as a spell. So this was um, all just about theming and keeping my character's specific flavor in mind. Now, you can go the most simple route of this, would be to simply change the color, the literal color, of spells and effects. If you have a favorite color, be it pink or purple or green, and you want to cast a pink, purple, or green fireball, that changes nothing about the spell, but can change everything about your character's expression and how they want to show themselves off in the world. And this is probably the easiest and most open way to express yourself in something that has really strict rules as written. You can say that your spells are just a different color. This is probably the safest route for things like an Adventurer's Campaign or Adventurer's League where you may be using or having different DMs every couple few sessions and is probably the most acceptable form of this. Now, a step further, while still staying completely within rules as written, is getting creative with the damage type versus the effect of that damage. So Fireball is probably, like, you know, the most iconic, so we'll kind of stick with it for a moment and go back to something like uh, the Color of Magic from Dragon Magazine, and talk about how we can have a fireball that deals fire damage, but seems like ice damage. Now, anybody that's, you know, been super cold or held on to something that's super cold for a long time will know that that sensation is very similar to burning. And, in fact, a lot of the same kinds of nerd rendings are involved. But... When you you can't necessarily deal cold damage with a fireball raw, because fireball, it's in the name, but you can have things where you express it instead of lighting people on fire and having them burning, you can have describe it as the sensation of instant hypothermia, of causing burns on the skin because the the temperature or the heat is sucked out of the air so fast that it causes these kinds of burns to other people. Now, of course, if you're dealing with actual fire, uh, maybe you have some blue flame in there and it spreads, but the effect is still that of possibly making people feel the burning sensation as if it was a cold burn and not a hot burn. Again, staying completely within rules as written and just changing the description of the effect is a really good way of changing up how your character is able to express themselves. 
as long as the effect of the spell is completely the same or ability. Again, you can apply this to just about any um, section of the book that has a rule in it and separate the rule from the expression or effect that it has, again, as long as we're not dealing with rules. Uh, now, taking this a step further, now we can get into homebrewing and slight changes in mechanics that you would have to talk with your dungeon master uh, or your players to get some consensus on and some agreeance with, and that is changing things like damage type. Now we can take this fireball and change it to cold damage. Now we get into a little bit more semantics where we want to make sure that the first thing that you could probably edit and have some more freedom than anything else is damage type. Uh, maybe you have a chaos mage that wants every spell to kind of work like a chaos bolt where the damage type is random. Now, I probably wouldn't let the player have every spell work like a chromatic orb where they can just pick the damage type uh, every single time they cast the spell because that would be a little bit overpowered in overcoming resistances. However, I probably would let somebody have all of their spells work in a very chaotic way, uh, similar to like a wild magic, where their damage may uh, get rolled on in certain circumstances. Or maybe if they're only uh, rolling critical hits, do they get to, to uh, actually conjure the spell with a specific damage type, and the rest of the time it's random. This offers a little bit of balance by the fact that sometimes their spells on regular hits are going to be rolled in a situation where the, the monster or fiend they're attacking could be resistant or immune to it when they're trying to do something cool, but also being able to counterbalance that by saying, if you critically hit something, then you get to pick the damage type, or maybe it'll always be of a damage type that that creature is uh, vulnerable to, but anytime you roll a one, it's definitely going to be, you know, in a way that, you know, to, to signify the fact that it, it just doesn't hit, it's always going to be the, the opposite or something like that. Or maybe not even give that much information because that might tell a player what uh, damage type that creature is vulnerable or resistant to. And so just that much information, maybe too much. Now, of course, the, the middle ground is just saying, instead of fireball, now you have ice ball. Instead of exploding in fire, it explodes in ice shards. The damage type, the radius of the explosion, the dexterity save, all of these remain the same to keep it within as much rules as written as we can, but while allowing the player to theme a spell in the direction that they so choose. Damage type is the easiest thing to play around with because it has the lowest impact on rules, mostly dealing with resistances and vulnerabilities. Now, there are some damage types that are more common to be resisted or uh, characters being immune to, uh, things like you know poison and certain status effects. Again, status effects and damage type kind of similar, although I probably wouldn't necessarily... Uh, allow it to be changed in all instances, there has to be a really good reason why you can come up with a monk whose stunning strike becomes a poison strike. That's probably a terrible example because I don't know why you would want poison over stun, but if you do, 
make sure that you have a theme or a flavor of being able to tap into somebody's you know energy or key and alter it on a spiritual level that instead of stunning them makes them nauseous and unable to act in certain ways now just be careful when you're getting into status effects again uh, switching out something in the other direction, switching out poison for stun is a lot more powerful. So be sure that you're not overpowering somebody by allowing them that kind of flavor. And maybe suggest instead retheming their poison instead of, you know, a green, you know, noxious poison gas. Maybe instead it's a odorless, colorless, dizzying effect of some sort that makes people nauseous doing those things is probably going to be a lot safer than trying to change a status effect from one type to another. But again, it's something that is going to be a instance-on-instance basis where you have to look at what is the intended effect, what is the power of changing that effect, and how is it going to interact with the player and the campaign in general. So then we move a step deeper. And this gets into kind of real homebrew territory, which is altering the dice, the range, uh, and the overall effect of a spell. You're basically, at this point, getting into creating spells, and there's a lot of consideration that has to be taken into account here. I would definitely consult uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide around 238, has a lot of charts and additional rules that you can consult to make sure that you're staying within a spell's level and keeping it from overlapping too much with another spell. You can also look in some of the other various resources to see if there's a spell that's really close that instead of completely redesigning, you could retheme to use those effects in a various manner by changing only a damage type to avoid having to rebuild the spell from scratch. You know, maybe you can use Ice Knife uh, instead to, you know, and retheme the damage type as fire instead of trying to make, uh, you know, Flaming Range Sword from scratch as a spell, right? So if you can reflavor an existing spell, it's always going to be a lot easier and more balanced to do that. But there's going to be instances where you just have to or may want to, build the spell from scratch. And doing that is totally okay. Um, there's a lot of instances in Critical Role where you can see characters kind of re-theming certain spells. Uh, Caleb's Cat's Paw operates in many ways, I think almost exactly, if not is just Big B's hand. Um, and in Jester is also well-known for re-theming a lot of her spells as unicorns and pink and candy and sugar and i think that's awesome I, i'm so glad that that type of spell retheming is getting a lot more visibility because i think a lot of players especially new players like let your new players know that this is part of the fun is that if they want their acid arrow to show up as an iron spike or as a green ethereal arrow, or as vines, you know, however they want to express that spell is fine, as long as they're aware that the rules are going to stay the same. 
but giving players that flexibility and freedom and telling them that it's okay, that their spellcaster doesn't just have to have a number of different spells that are all unrelated. They could have all of their spells, you know, raven-themed, where claws, beaks, caws, you know, black, explosions of feathers can all be part of their spells' descriptions and allow them their, uh, you know, edgy raven of the night character, or maybe not so edgy and very calm, uh, possibly even a character like, I think that would be great for a Kenku, right? Where all of their spells are kind of bird-themed in some way, and an expression of that character's personality in how they cast their spells. Just let your players know that this is an option, and as a DM, it's a really good way to confuse players as to what spells or abilities your bad guys are casting. If it's throwing fireballs, then that may be pretty obvious that they're like some kind of fire mage or something. But if you retheme them to a, you know, green gobule of, you know, pulsing mass and dripping acid, like launches out and as it contacts with the air, explodes in fire, sounds a lot more like some kind of crazed alchemist casting the same exact spell. So just keep these things in mind as you play. And if you're on the cooking side, there's tons of examples of this. Uh, Everything from, you know, the base sauces uh, being used in basically almost every kind of food with a sauce in some different manner, you can change and alter the influences of a food by just changing you could keep the base recipe, but swap out a few ingredients or add a few. Um, there's probably no bigger ways where this is expressed than, uh, I guess in carbs. (laughs) So bread, every like culture, every geographic location, almost everywhere you can go where you can grow grains. And even in some places where you can't, there are breads of different types and they're all almost essentially the same basic ingredients. You have uh, a grain that is ground, uh, usually a salt, and maybe some water. And then uh, on other areas, maybe you add a rising agent, like a yeast or something. And depending on how much kneading you do, how much gluten you develop... If you add any seasonings or nuts or ingredients inside of the bread, or if you do them on top of the bread, or if you bake it, or if you let it rise longer or for less time or not at all, just changing the literal temperatures and lengths of time that you let it rest and cook without any change to ingredients can alter what kind of bread you have. And similarly, with pasta... One needs to go no further than ramen noodles to realize how many styles and flavors and cultural influences you can have with just a cup of water, noodles, and a seasoning pouch or packet. There's literally infinite combinations that you can flavor this, and every one of them can be a different experience with a different theme. It's also one of those things where any time where people argue about what type of food or cultural influence on a food is the quote-unquote best, you have the ingredients of 
a differing flavor, of a differing style of cooking, taking one food and making it many different ways. Uh, this is probably most often expressed with, uh, in America at least, with things like pizza, you know, Chicago versus New York versus St. Louis, uh, as well as barbecue um, and the meaning of barbecue, whether that means grilling or smoking or the barbecue sauce itself and the flavors that are used, whether it's hot or cold, uh, you know, you have kind of the Northeastern style, uh, like pulled pork is going to be like soaked in vinegar, whereas a St. Louis pulled pork is going to be soaked in barbecue sauce. So keep this in mind that if you want to change the flavor of a meal, look at the core ingredients that are in it, and then look at the core ingredients of the you know, traditional flavor that you want to be changing it to. If you want it to be more southern, uh, try adding more cayenne pepper and paprika to something. If you want an oriental twist, soy sauce, mirin, black vinegar, uh, fish oil, and sesame oil are all going to, fish sauce rather, is going to be some good places to look for those deeper, more umami flavors. Going further, you can just start sourcing those specific ingredients like shiitake mushrooms to further enhance the direction that you're trying to take a particular dish. Now, this may not always work. I'm not entirely sure how you would go about making an oriental spaghetti and meatballs, but I'm sure that it's possible, and I'm sure there are probably some recipes that already exist whose names I don't even know that really represent this. Again, if you're looking to take one meal from one direction to another, it's probably easier to start with seeing if there are already recipes that exist from that culture or flavor that you're trying to get to, and then tweaking them smaller amounts than trying to go really far with changing all of the ingredients of a specific recipe over to try to capture the flavor of another locale. So just kind of keep these things in mind that you don't have to necessarily stick to a, a particular recipe if you want to change that or bring that flavor somewhere else. Uh, if you want to have a Hawaiian burger versus, you know, a bacon cheeseburger versus a smokehouse burger, it's so easy to just change, add, or subtract a few flavors a slice of pineapple and a little bit of lemon juice goes a long way where having to completely rebuild the meal from the ground up may be more difficult doesn't mean that it can't be successful. Starting with all of your basic flavors and just the type of ground meat that you choose, what types of salt you may add to it, you can get down to the nitty-gritty, but the deeper you dive into changing and altering a recipe's format without having, it is going to be the more difficult that it is versus using kind of a recipe that already exists. Doesn't mean it's impossible, and I would apply the same rules that I do for creating new spells. It's always easier to retheme by changing a couple of ingredients if you can uh, with things that you're already familiar with than it's going to be to build a recipe from scratch. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. I definitely recommend you work within your skill levels and your comfort to try to get your themes and your tastes to a place that you desire. It is a subjective thing after all. 
Now, of course, when you're feeding others, I would definitely say that you should at least taste it first and maybe let them know, just as in a homebrew campaign, that you're going to be altering the flavor just a little. So that's all for the episode today. I want to take a moment and say a huge thank you to those of you that follow me on Twitter or have messaged me on Reddit. I've gotten so much really cool feedback from you all, and I love interacting with you and sharing jokes and stories. So if you're looking to interact with me, Twitter is probably where I'm most active, but All of my social media accounts are available through the card website that's down in the show notes. Uh, If you're looking for more content, you can check out my other podcast, which is called Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters. It dives into the deeper aspects of how gaming and games impact us personally and society at large. It's co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. It's a great podcast, and uh, we definitely put a lot of our work into it. We've had some really awesome guests on, as well as uh, looking over news, reviews, and games both new and old. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by. (laughs) 